and uh, turn to Luke 13, verse 1. Luke 13, verse 1. This is going to be our last uh, parable of Jesus. Maybe sometime we'll come back to it again. But uh, beginning next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth uh, over the next few months. Uh, Ruth will certainly prepare us for Christmas. And so I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, and I pray that you're looking forward to that. Be praying about that and what the Lord would have you to learn from his word in our series of Ruth. As you know, tragedy seems to be a part of life which often happens through evil people, um, accidents, natural disasters. All you have to do is just watch TV, um, read your lo- local newspaper, get on the Internet, yeah, and you'll see tragedy going on all around us. In fact, tomorrow is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. So yes, it happens. Some of you have experienced your own personal tragedy. But let me ask you, how do you think about all this? Or how should you respond? That's the question. These things happen all the time. They're going on around us. So how should you think about it? How should you respond? Well, Jesus, in this next narrative and parable addressed a couple of tragic incidents, but he quickly made application of them to his listeners. And I want you to see this as we consider verses 1 to 9. So follow along as I read these verses. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if none, cut it down. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word here. This account really does take place near the end of Jesus' 13-year ministry as he was making his way to Jerusalem for the final time. It says there in verse 1, Now on the same occasion... He's referring back to the events uh, recorded in chapter 12. 
And also, if you look at verse 22 in chapter 13, it says there, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Here, in this passage of Scripture, he was speaking to a large crowd. That's what chapter 12 in verse 1 records. And at one point in chapter 12, he was challenging them to be ready for the Son of Man's return or face judgment. We see that in verse 35, all the way to the beginning of chapter 13. And so this led some in our present passage to report to Jesus about a tragic incident And to get his take, his view on it. Look what it says there. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Apparently, the Galileans had come to the temple. They were offering sacrifices and they were put to death. So they're turning to Jesus and say, what do you think about this? Verse 2, and Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Likely the motive of these people for reporting this was their self-righteous hearts. In fact, it was. You see, the general thinking of the day is that when bad things happen to people, it was God's judgment of sin upon their lives. I mean, think about Job, remember? In Job... His friends came to him a number of times. And you see it in chapter 4 and in chapter 8. They pointed their fingers at him and said, You're suffering because of some sin in your life. And then when you come to John chapter 9, there was a man that was born blind. And so the people around said to Jesus, What has happened to this man? Did his parents sin or do something really bad that he was born this way? And he said, No, it's for the glory of God. So yes, it was the general thinking of the day. Well, this even prompted Jesus to bring up another tragic incident there in verse 4, which we'll look back shortly. But in both of these cases, he didn't get into a philosophical discussion about the matter, but simply cut to the chase as to what was important, what was significant for his listeners. And that is, death is imminent, and you need to be ready spiritually. That's what he was getting at. Verse 3 and in verse 5. Twice he says here, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what he wanted them to get into their hearts and minds. This is tragedy's important reminder. And the parable that follows in verses 6 to 9 underscores that message. The Greek word for repent here speaks to a change of mind, a turnabout in your thinking, so to speak, on two levels. One in regards to sin and the other in regards to Christ. You see, by God's grace, you come to understand that you are a sinner, that your sin offends a holy God, and you turn from it to Christ because you are convinced that He is the Savior, the only Savior who can rescue you from your sin. Why? Because He died and rose again. Mankind today is going in one direction. They're living for themselves. They're living in their sin. But praise God, at some point in time, it happens. The grace of God touches their heart and turns them around spiritually. 
They're grieved. They feel sorrowful for their sin. And they run to Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of their sins. You know, really, faith is a part of repentance. It's like opposite sides of the same coin. And really, you can't have true repentance without faith, and you can't have true faith without repentance. They're opposite sides of the same coin. Just listen to these verses. I think some of them you're familiar with. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, the Old Testament. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. A wonderful promise in the Old Testament to those who repent. How about 1 Thessalonians 1.9? It's not just an Old Testament matter. It's a New Testament truth too as well. We read this in our scripture reading this morning. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Yes. That is repentance. And what Jesus said here about it, beloved, is Serious and important for three interrelated reasons, which I want you to consider with me today. And my hope is that as you hear it this morning, if you don't know Jesus, that today will be the day of your salvation, that you will turn from your sin and trust Christ for salvation. But if you know him, how about following the example of Jesus here? Follow his example of evangelism. When you come across people who speak about tragic events, bring it to spiritual things. Help them to see their sin and their need of Jesus, just as he did. Follow his example. That's my goal as we consider these reasons today. And the first one is there in verses 2 to 5. Let's just read them again. They came reporting to him about these Galileans. And Jesus says, beginning in verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What was Jesus emphasizing here? It's this. Repentance is necessary because everyone is cursed with sin. That's right. Repentance is necessary because everyone is cursed with sin. I love how Jesus twice in this text questioned the reporter's Because of their mindset. Two and four again. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this faith? Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? That was their thinking. That's what they thought. But he quickly responded, did he? He says, I tell you, no. Literally, in the Greek, it says, no, 
I tell you, with emphasis. This was to heighten their guilt and to help them see their own sin, their self-righteousness. He was actually doing them a favor. Because if they don't see their sin and their lost condition, they won't repent. He was doing them a favor. This kind of reminds me of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. Remember what Jesus said to her accusers? You who are without sin, what? Cast the first stone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were self-righteous. They were looking down upon her. And Jesus, in that moment, helped them to understand, you're just as guilty of sin as she is. doesn't make a difference what you've done. You've broken the law just as she has done. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I would imagine you are familiar with this portion of Scripture. Just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Pat who was mentioning her Bible study that's coming up on Wednesday. is going to be going through the book of Romans, Romans 1 to 5. And she mentioned on that morning that Romans 1 to 3 is about the universality of sin in the world. Both Jews and Greeks are guilty. And you see that very clearly here in verses 9 to 20. One of the things I like about this passage is that you have Paul here quoting from the Old Testament. When you talk about sin, it's just not a New Testament thing. Some people may think that. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. It's the whole Bible. Look what he goes on to say there, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is not none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together there is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, Paul here is simply quoting from the Old Testament the sinfulness of mankind. And he went on to say, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable, guilty before God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Yes, everyone is cursed with sin. And really, this goes back to Adam. In Genesis, doesn't it? It goes right back to the very beginning. You see, Adam represented mankind. And when he disobeyed God, it was as though we were there doing the very same thing. And through his sin, the whole world was plunged into sin and death. And every person that's been born since then has been born a sinner. And that's why we sin. Romans 5.12 For as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Yes, indeed, all mankind is cursed with sin. 
And this is what Jesus is driving at here in these first few verses. He wants his listeners to understand it. They are just as guilty as anyone else. The story is told of a youth who said to a preacher, You say that unsaved people carry a weight of sin. I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds, 80 pounds? He was being very sarcastic. The preacher replied by asking the youth, If you laid a 400-pound weight on a corpse, would it feel the load? The youth replied, It would feel nothing because it is dead. The preacher concluded, That spirit too is indeed dead, which feels no load of sin or is indifferent to its burden and flippant about its presence. The youth was silenced. Yeah. Let me ask you this morning, if you're not saved, do you sense the weight of your sin right now? I do pray that as you sit here, not being saved, that you do sense the weight of your sin, that the guilt is strong in your hearts. Actually, as I'm sharing these things with you, it's a favor. Jesus did the same thing with his listeners. He wants them to repent, but they must understand that they are cursed with sin. And if you're a believer this morning, in your talks with people about tragic events, may God help you to graciously turn the discussion toward their own hearts and through the help of the Spirit, See their sin. Isn't that what the scriptures tell us in John? I think it is 16. Remember Jesus on the night before he was crucified. He tells his disciples, I'm going to send you another comforter. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And he will do what? Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the Spirit is doing that today. He's been left to do that. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you sense the weight of your sin this morning? If you don't know Christ, repent. Repentance is important because everyone is cursed with sin. Now to another reason that is closely associated with the previous one. And again, I want to read verses 3 and 5. Look what he said. I tell you no. That's in response to what he said there in verse 2. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, Jesus responds to what said or he asked there in verse 4. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What do you see here? Why is repentance necessary? Because everyone is condemned by sin. That's right. Everyone is condemned by sin. Twice Jesus told his audience here, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What did he mean? It's simply this. You will be alienated from God forever. Suffering the punishment of your sin. Again, you're familiar with what? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. That's right. And we're not just talking about physical death. That's a part of it. But more significantly, spiritual and eternal death. We're talking about a separation from God forever. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. And by the way, he wasn't talking about experiencing death in a similar manner as the people there in verses 2 and 4. No. He was making a transition to the spiritual dilemma of all mankind. Really, this is sobering here. It should get our attention. You see, though the physical tragedies in this account or the ones that we see today are awful and heartbreaking, and they are. I don't want to minimize them. The spiritual tragedy of everyone is even more devastating. Yeah, we can have talks and philosophical discussions with people about tragedies that are going on today. And I think it's good. It shows a compassionate heart. But for us to stop there and not share with them the spiritual tragedy, oh my. Because that's far more devastating. You will perish if you do not repent. Whether it be the people who experience these tragic events that we see here in this passage, or the reporters who came to Jesus, or even us today without repentance, Jesus said, you will face judgment. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. I'm just recording what Jesus said here. He was very pointed. Why? Because he cared about those who were around him. As I said before, he's doing them a favor. Now you might say, well, pastor, I don't believe God would allow that. He's loving. And you want to know something? He is loving. You're right. The scriptures tell us that. He's so loving, he did what? He sent his son to die for your sin and to rise from the dead. And so, God is also holy at the same time, just as much as He is loving. And if you reject that Savior, He must punish sin. And really, we all deserve judgment. We deserve to perish. We don't deserve eternal life, right? None of us do. Let's be honest with ourselves. We need to keep that in mind. And by the way, God is also merciful and patient. As the following parable seems to indicate, the fig tree had not been bearing fruit for three years, but is given another year. Kind of reminds me, if you, uh, from Second Peter 3 9, remember what Peter said there? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Yeah. Beloved, earthly tragedy reminds us that life is fragile. Anything can happen anytime. I bet you that if you got up this morning, none of you thought that your life would end today. But could it? Yeah, because there's still more time in this day. Life is fragile. And certainly that message comes across here as Jesus is speaking to his listeners. Anything can happen at any given time, and you must be prepared. So may God help you in this. Or if you're a believer, to give you the courage and love for others to confront them 
with their spiritual dilemma. Let me just give you an example. Let's just say tomorrow people start talking around you about 9-11 and all that took place back then. Or maybe they'll start sharing with you some tragedy that is going on in their life. Or did you hear about this? Did you see this on the news? Just ask them a question. What do you think about all that? Just ask that question. Let them share their heart. And then ask them the question, are you prepared? What if that were to happen to you? How about me? Are you ready spiritually? And then use that as an open door to share the gospel, just as Jesus did. We're following his example, okay? If it was good enough for Jesus, isn't it good enough for us? This isn't complicated. We just have to have the boldness to do it. (laughs) So let's pray for that boldness. By God's grace, repentance is necessary because everyone is cursed with sin and everyone is condemned by sin. That's not it here. This brings us to one other reason there in the parable of verses 6 to 9, which follows. Let's read what Jesus went on to say. And he began telling them this parable. A man had a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, great, fine. But if not, cut it down. So what do you notice here? Repentance is necessary because of everyone's need to be cured from sin. Yeah. Because of everyone's need to be cured from sin. You know, as mentioned earlier, in fact, actually in our introduction, this parable which Jesus shared simply illustrated the message he declared in verses 1 to 5. That's all this parable is. It's an illustration of what he shared that you must repent or perish. You see, this fig tree that did not bear fruit needed to be what? Cut down. It says it three times there in the passage of Scripture. And yet you see the patience of the vineyard keeper in the whole process. It's a picture of our God. Well, the evidence of repentance is spiritual fruit. Jesus is making that analogy here. That one has been cured from the penalty and power of sin. When there is fruit evident in one's life, it indicates one thing. Something has happened in that person's life. They've been cured from the penalty of sin. With no fruit, there's no life. And thus, that person faces the prospect of eternal condemnation, as we saw earlier. You know, likely Jesus was speaking here about the nation of Israel. Both he and John the Baptist came with a message of repentance over a period of three to four years. But the people rejected it, didn't they? Now, remember, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. They rejected it. What does it say in John chapter 1, 
Verse 11. He came unto his own and what? His own received him not. They had rejected him. And so you can see why Jesus is sharing this message. He's only got a few more days left and he wants them to understand this. Who's ever around him? This glorious message that they needed to hear. Both he and John the Baptist came with a message of repentance. I want you to look with me at what John the Baptist said in chapter 3 of Luke. Go back with me if you would there. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Luke, by the way, is recording this. Beginning with verse 3. And he, speaking about John the Baptist, came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. That comes right out of Isaiah 43 to 5. So he began saying to the crowds, that is John the Baptist, who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus later referenced this in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about what it says there in Matthew 7, verses 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. You will know those who have repented and have been cured from the penalty of sin because they will bear fruits of that repentance. Jesus said that. And then he also came back and talked to his disciples, even the night before he was crucified, in John 15. Remember, uh, Judas uh, was going to betray him. He left them. And then Jesus turned to his 11 other disciples who were there. Because I can just imagine swimming through their mind is, what is with Judas? Where is he? And what did Jesus tell them in John 15? Hmm. I am the vine... You are the branches. Every branch who does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may what? Bring forth more fruit. And God's desire is that we bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. (laughs) That's what it says there. In verses 1 to 11. But you know something? These same words are for us today. Those same words that were spoken by John the Baptist and Jesus some 2,000 years ago are for us as well. If we have been cured from sin through repentance, we will have spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit of a godly character and holy conduct. 
Think of what it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In other words, you can't produce that. That's God who does that work in a repentant heart. You receive the Spirit of God? Yeah, He changes you from the inside. And then what comes forth from that? Holy conduct. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 6. Romans 6. Romans 1 to 3, about the universality of sin. Chapters 3 to 5 is justification. Chapter 6 to 8 are sanctification. Romans 6. Starting with verse 17, Paul says these words. Romans 6, starting with verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Yeah. The gospel came to your heart. You repented. And you're no longer a slave of sin. You're a slave of Jesus Christ. And having been free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were the slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, it wasn't a part of your life. Therefore, what benefit or fruit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit or fruit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What we just read there, beloved, is a miracle of transformation and the message that we want to share with a lost and dying world so that they may come to know Christ and be cured from their sin. Yes, it's a miracle of transformation. Aren't you thankful for that work that God has done in your hearts by grace? Yeah, I I, I trust you are. Things are different. It's not the same. Praise be to God. You see, people today can now have hope in the midst of life tragedies with no fear when they repent. They can see things from God's perspective and trust His sovereign care. And so where are you this morning? Remember, God is calling everyone to repent. All mankind today is going in one direction, living their own life living in their sin, away from God, not caring about what He thinks. But praise be to God when His grace comes to your heart and you see your sin and the guilt rises up because you turn from your sin to Jesus who is your only hope of salvation. Yeah. Transformation takes place. Some of you have heard my personal testimony, I guess maybe in an abbreviated form. But I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, I heard the message of the gospel, that Christ died, rose again. I heard that I was a sinner. I, I, I grappled with those truths. Sure, they, they were in my thinking, uh, but I never applied them to my own heart growing up. 
And then one day, my parents went on vacation. I was at home, 16 years old. I had a job. And so while they were gone away, I just lived it up. (laughs) And I can remember being with a friend from the church. And uh, I was just kind of sharing with him what was going on. And he rebuked me. He basically said, take me home. I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. Wow. And I did. And as I was leaving, going home, I didn't live very far away, I felt the weight of my sin. It was just great. There was guilt there. There was nothing I could argue. (laughs) It was all true. It was almost as though God were saying next to me, Kirk, are you saved? I didn't hear those words, (laughs) okay? I didn't hear no audible voice. But my guilt was so strong because what I heard was, Kirk, are you saved? And when I got home, I sat in in, in a room with the lights out, just thinking about my own heart and my lost condition and how I needed Jesus. And I think it was shortly thereafter, by God's grace, I turned to Jesus, the one that I heard all about, And he became my personal savior from sin. Oh, what a wonderful day. And you want to know something? There was fruit in my life. Yeah, there certainly was. In fact, just shortly after I was saved, I remember sitting next to my bed. And there was this old Bible sitting on the the stand. And it was all dusty. I'd never read it, never picked it up. But again, it was like something was saying to me, Kirk, why don't you pick up the Bible and start reading? Well, where? The only book that I knew anything about was John in 1 John. So that's where I started reading. <laughs> and I can remember going to work at night, coming home from work, and falling asleep while I was reading John over and over again. I came through it once, and I went through it again. And so God had changed my life, gave me a hunger for His Word, gave me a, a hunger to just live by His truth. And I could see the fruits being manifested. Oh, did I struggle as a believer? Sure, the, the, the battle was there. Throughout my high school years and even into my college years, and I'm still battling today, okay? I'm still being sanctified, but the fruit is there. It is different than it was before. And I would assume with all of you sitting here who are truly saved, you can give a similar testimony. You've been transformed by the grace of God. He's delivered you from your sin and saved you and changed your life. Amen? Yes. And so what are we to do with that? Just hold it within ourselves? No. We're to be like Jesus. Be his evangelistic, be that evangelistic example. Sharing to a lost world that they need to repent or likewise perish. And so as we close this morning, I want to say again that tragedy's important reminder is that life is fragile. It is short. And you need to be prepared with a heart of repentance because you are cursed with sin. You are condemned by sin and you need to be cured from sin. Yeah, that's the lessons that we can take uh, from this passage of Scripture. And so may these truths lead you to Jesus if you don't know him. That's my prayer for you this morning. And if you have repented, I pray that you will be a shining light of hope. Just as Peter exhorted the churches, remember in the first century, a couple thousand years ago, remember Christians were suffering, yeah, under the hands of Nero. They, there was tragedy going on. And what did Peter exhort them with? These words, First Peter 2, 12. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, fruit, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Those were his words. They're just as necessary for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And what a blessing it is just to look at this parable of Jesus and his words to his listeners around them. Oh God, tragedy happens all around us. And we can get into discussions about that. But God, if we fail to direct them to Jesus, just as he directed them, his listeners to himself, then we failed. Oh God, help us to be bold in telling others that unless they repent, they will perish. We don't want that. And so I pray, God, that we will be faithful in bringing that message and that, God, you would save those all according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.